This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Now your best shout ever. Praise God. You may be seated. Well, June did a great job. I can't call her Mama June. I call her Mama. <laughs> oh, but she's a good Bible teacher, too. Praise God. I want to go back and pick up on something that Mark preached last Sunday. He basically was talking about how we try to put everything, our work for God in the church and see how much time and how much effort we can put to see that the church is doing good and doing the things that the church is planned for us to do. But he made this statement, which I thought was really good. What we need to concentrate on is to be sure that we put God in everything we do. And I thought, well, I'm going to pick up on that because I believe I, I, believe I have an experience that would, would help you. How do you put God in your life, you know, on your 50 feet? How do you do that practically? And uh, I've spent most of my life trying to do that. And I want to share some things I believe will be a blessing to you and be a help to you. I grew up in a non-Christian home. Now, back when I grew up, back in the 30s and 40s, everybody believed in God. So I'm not saying my family didn't believe in God, but we were not church-going people, not born-again people. And so I graduated from high school, went in the Navy, didn't get any religious training in the Navy. Went to the University of Alabama, didn't get any religious training at the University of Alabama. Met and married June, our last year at the University of Alabama. Moved back to her hometown, which was Gadsden, Alabama. First thing she did is get back in the church she grew up in. And I didn't want my in-laws to think their daughter had gone to the University of Alabama and married some old reprobate. So I thought, well, I'm going to go to church. So I started going to church. Now, I didn't want to get fanatical. I wouldn't go on Wednesday night or Sunday night, but I'd go on Sunday morning. Started working with the young people. Started enjoying going to church and then one Sunday morning, they made the announcement. They said, tonight, the young people are going to tell us what happened at camp. Well, now I'm working with young people. I didn't know anything had happened at camp. So I thought, I better go back tonight and see what happened at camp. So I didn't want to, you know, waste a lot of time, so I made a plan. I'll slip in late. I'll sit on the back pew behind a column, and as soon as I find out, what happened to the young people? I'll go back home and watch Adventures in Paradise. <laughs> that was my plan. Well, I get to church sitting on the back pew, and about 15 young people that had gotten born again at camp started crying and testifying and praising God and saying God's real. You can pray and God will hear you when you pray. God's alive. And I'm sitting on the back pew crying like a baby. I thought, I didn't know God was really real God. And I thought, I want that. And so it was 
a very moving service, probably, well, you know, probably 80% of the people in the church went down to the altar to pray, so I got lost in the crowd, didn't know what to do, and to make a long story short, after, you know, praying and crying for a couple of weeks, somebody gave me a track, and I don't remember who gave it to me and how I got it, but I remember the title. God can't lie. Whatever God says in his word, you can take it to the bank. God can't lie. And said, basically said, if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, and repent, and said that means you turn around. Instead of going your way, you turn around and say, I'm going to go God's way. And if you'll do that, you'll be born again. And you'd have to be born again because God can't lie. So on a Saturday afternoon in, in my, the East Gadsden Methodist Church, we were in the midst of a lay witness revival. And I'd been crying for three, three or four weeks trying to, you know, let God know how much I wanted God. And I sat in the pew in the sanctuary on a Saturday afternoon and said, Jesus, you are my Lord. And I do believe God raised you from the dead. And I said, from this moment on, I'm going to live for God. And I didn't have any emotion. I mean, I just said that as a matter of fact. I'm just going to live for God. And so uh, the next morning I got up and I was going to have to go to the bank with a client. I was a CPA at this time and I was going to have to go to, uh, with a client to the bank. And I got up with a cold on top of hay fever and I was so stopped up I could hardly talk. And I was grumbling on the way to the car, and I was just a foul cold. And I, you know, I, you know, I just mad. I was, I was stopped up. And as I got into my vehicle and put the key in the ignition, I heard these words. Those young people said you could pray, and God would hear you when you prayed. And I looked, and I literally looked in the back seat because it felt like somebody was in the car. And I realized maybe that's God speaking to me. And I said, Father, give me some relief from this cold. And I backed out of the driveway and got in the street in front of my house and I was totally healed. And I said, God's real. God's real. God is real. And then I tried to work my way into heaven. <laughs> I mean, I just wanted to do something for God. And I was going all the time. I almost ran June out of the church. All you do is go, go, go. Because I wanted to, I wanted to outdo somebody. Do something. And I was doing an audit in Gunnersville, Alabama, which is about an hour drive from Gadsden, Alabama. And I had what I guess was a vision. I never had had a vision. But I saw myself go up into heaven. And I saw myself meet at the gate of heaven, who I assume was Peter. And he said to me, how do you plead, guilty or not guilty? I said, not guilty. He said, what do you base your plea on? I said, well, now, Peter, I, I go to church every time the doors open. I'm telling you, I give tithes. I help, I do poor people's tax returns. I mean, I just named a, you know, a, probably 20 things that made me worthy to go to heaven. 
And he said, well, let's find your name in this book. And he turned over and he found my name and it says here, this is what he said. He said, it says here that you've committed adultery 2,500 times. I said, no, I screamed, no, I've never committed adultery. He said, well, now I don't make the law here. But it says, if you've ever looked at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. And he said, here's the way we're going to do it. He said, we're going to put this white robe on you. He put a white robe on me. It was just as white as wool. And he said, for every mark we've got against you, I'm going to put a, a mark on the robe. And he had a little, paint, little jar of paint, red paint, and he had a brush, and he put 2,500 marks on my robe. And then he says, it says here that you've murdered 250 people. I've never murdered anybody. If you've had hate in your heart, you've already murdered them. And he put some more marks. And said you hadn't honored your father and mother. And he put some more marks. Said you hadn't loved me with all your heart, mind, strength, your neighbors, yourself. And he began to put marks. And when he got through, I didn't have a white spot on my robe. And I said, Peter, what am I going to do? He said, you can do one of two things. He said, you can plead your own case. Or we'll give you an advocate. I said, I'll take the advocate. And a door opened and the Lord Jesus Christ walked out to where I was standing and he took that old scarlet robe and he pulled it off of me and threw it away. And he had a, a robe that was as white as wool and he put that new robe on me and said, follow me. And I followed him down a long corridor into the very presence of God the Father Almighty. And as soon as I walked into the door, and stood there, God said, not guilty. Hallelujah. And I saw something. It's not all the hours that I tried to work to get to heaven. I ought to be working because I'm going to heaven, but I don't work to get to heaven. I cannot earn my salvation. And one of the great disadvantages of witnessing going out and talking to people about God and getting saved and going to heaven is that we have built into our inward being that good people go to heaven. Hell is full of good people. You know, as a pastor, I've heard people say to me, well, my uncle, you know, I don't, he wasn't a, a Christian, so to speak, but he was a good man. God would have to let him into heaven. No, you don't get to heaven because you're good. You get to heaven because the Lord Jesus Christ hung on a cross and bore your sins and bore your sicknesses and made you white as snow. That's the only way to get to heaven. If you can get that in your mind, you will look at humanity in a whole different way because we look at the bad people over there and, you know, we, we want to stay away from them as much as possible. But, you know, we may send a little prayer their way or throw a track toward them or do something. But those people we live with, those people we work with, those good people that do good things, some of them need to know that Jesus Christ is the only way to get to heaven. Some of your family members that never darkened the, 
door of the church that are good people, they need what you've got. They need to be born again. They need to be saved. They need to know that the only way to go to heaven is Jesus Christ. The second thing that'll help you, that'll help me, is to realize you have to make an effort. You have to do something to make an effort to reach people. You know, I, I don't know why as Christians we think everything falls on us and we don't have to do any effort. No, you have to press. You have to fight. You have to stand. You have to do. You know, be active. You know, I, I grew up poor. I grew up a sharecropper's son, seven children. I mean, we had to fight to get food to eat. We had to, you know, struggle to work to get enough money to buy clothes, to go to school. I remember going to school barefooted because I didn't have any shoes. And I said, you know, as, as a growing up, I said, I'm going to get out of this. I'm going to put everything I've got into getting out. I'm not going to be a sharecropper no more. And so I had a plan. I came up with a plan. I didn't have any money to go to college, but somehow or another I knew one avenue out of poverty is education. I said, I'm going to go to college. Nobody in my family ever been to college. I didn't even know where colleges were. I didn't have any money, but I, I said, well, I'm going to, this was during the Korean War, I'm going to join the Navy. And they'll put me through, they'll give me money to go to college. Well, I had to make an effort to go to the Navy and to work, you know, I went in on what they call a kiddie cruise. You go in when you're 17 years old, you get out the day before you're 21. And so when I was approaching 21, I wrote for an application to the University of Alabama, and I enrolled in the University of Alabama, but when I got there, I still had to work. I'm telling you, I, know I, I had the GI Bill, but I think it was $120 a month. Now, I've got to live and go to school. So not only did I have to pay my, you know, my dues and uh, I had to live, so I had to get a part-time job. So I went through school in three years working and going to school. That took effort. I had to press into that. I had to make myself get up. I had to make myself study. I had to make myself go to work. You're not going to lay here. And all I had to do was think about sharecropping. <laughs> and I'm telling you, that just motivated me to go to school, to get an education, to change my life. When I, got a, when I got out of school to be a CPA, in those days you had to work with a CPA firm for two years before you could take the exam. So I went to work with a CPA firm making $385 a month. Well, that's just barely get along. And I'm married. And I, you know, I didn't tell you how we got married out our last year at the University of Alabama, but we had a son, you know, about a year after we got married, and I'm making $385 a month. We struggled, but I hung in there. I took the CPA exam, and after two years, I passed the CPA exam. I became a CPA, but I didn't quit then, too. I had to go to work and make a living. And, when it, and I was not making a month, enough money to support my family, I had to teach college at night. 
So I'm working eight hours a day, eight to 15 hours a day and going teaching school at night. But I was pressing into what I had said I wanted to do. I did not want to be a sharecropper. Now, folks, if you compare sharecropping with hell, there's a powerful guff. If I would fight and press and struggle not to be a sharecropper, I ought to do the same thing to see that other people get to know God because we're commanded in Scripture. Acts 1.8 says, but ye shall receive power. Now, we like the word power. Power for what? Well, raise the dead, cast out devils, speak with tongues. Well, that's true, but it didn't say that. It says, ye shall receive power and ye shall be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's talking to every spirit-filled believer. If you're a spirit-filled believer, you have a mandate from God to reach lost people. Not only that, but it says, Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now, I know we don't like to hear this, but if you're not fishing, you're not following Jesus. Because he said, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. So, you know, we like to talk about how good, uh, much we're following Jesus, but are we doing anything that Jesus has commanded us to do? When it says ye shall receive power to be a witness, that word shall is the strongest word in the English language. You can't get any stronger than shall. Shall is you know, just you can't get any higher. You shall be witnesses unto me. So we are commanded to do it. And if we're going to be fishermen, you have to have bait. I don't know how many of you fish, but if you just go to the fishing pool and throw in a hook with no bait on it, you're not going to catch any fish. You've got to bait your hook. Well, how do you bait your hook? Let me give you some things that's so important that makes good bait, that'll catch fish. Smile at people. <laughs> Love people. Talk about how, well, I really appreciate what you've done. I really thank you for helping me. You're just wonderful. Uh, is there anything I can do for you? You've got to bait your hook. You can't shun lost people and catch them. When I was pastoring in Statesboro, Georgia, this young lady came up to me and she said, Brother Gene, I want you to pray for me. She says, I work around all these lost people and all they do is curse and tell dirty jokes and, you know, just went on and on. Just She said, pray for me. I want to get a job with some Christian people. 
I said, dear sister, I can't pray you out of the will of God. See, we've got the mistaken idea that we Christians have to clump together. That's the furthest things from God's mind. Everywhere, every business, every department store, every warehouse full of lost people, I guarantee you on the word and authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, God is going to put some tongue-talking person right in the middle of that bunch of heathen. And they cry and scream all the way trying to get out of it. We are called to be missionaries to lost people. We're called to be missionaries to lost people. We've got a call on our life. That's not your job. God gives you a job to feed your family and make money with, but he'll probably put you around a lot of lost people, so you have to earn your living, praise God. He wants you to be effective in your call to be a missionary. It's your responsibility. Now, when I found this out, and this is what I'm trying to, I'm trying to help you. If you'll listen to me, I can help you. Every day is fishing day. You don't just fish on Saturday. Every day's a fishing day. Now, some of you can't get excited about that, but some fishermen like to fish. They just enjoy going fishing. Well, now, we've got to understand, well, then that means I've got to realize I'm called to be a fisherman. So I'm going to have to get on board and when I'm going to that place where all these filthy people curse and tell dirty jokes, I'm going to have to be saying, praise God. Oh, I'm telling you, I can hardly wait to get there because when I get there, I'm going to... I'm just going to brag on her for making that good coffee. I'm going to talk about that foreman that cusses all the time and just talk about, well, you're doing okay today? Everything well with you today? And then he's going to come to say, well, you know, I'm just having trouble with, with pain in my leg. Oh, you're having trouble with pain in your leg? Let me pray for you. And you'll just lay hands on him and the pain will go away. I'm telling you, God shows out with lost people. Us little Christians crying and, you know, begging God to do things. Get out there and lay hands on people and watch God heal other people and you'll get healing. Praise God. I'm telling you, you'd think we were babies in the crib sucking on bottles. We are called to be out there right in the midst of all the lost people. And so what we have to do is recognize that if I'm going to do that, I need to have, I need to have my, as much planning in my missionary work as I do in my regular job work. If I put all that effort into being a CPA, I need to put some effort in to being a missionary. So that means you have to have a, you have to plan it out. You can't. Let it just happen. When I got saved and found out that I was a missionary, I, I made this declaration to God. I said, God, with the help of the Holy Spirit and in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
Not one member of my family will go to hell. Not one. Now, I grew up in a non-Christian home. When I was growing up, none of us, none of us was saved. My mother got saved when I was in the Navy. And my youngest sister got saved while I was in the Navy. But that left five more children and a daddy that was lost. And so I, said, I started thinking, what can I do? And my first thing I started doing, I'm going to pray for them every day. They're going to be saved. And then I started writing letters to him. I'd write letters and I'd put in that letter, you know, a scripture or something, you know. And then one day I get a letter from my brother's wife and she said, Dear sir, please remove us from your mailing list. <laughs> so I thought that's not working too good. So I just started doubling up on my prayer and praying. And every day I'd just lift them up and pray for him. And then that brother who had... Uh, Wife wrote me. He and his wife read the book. Somebody gave him a book, Left Behind. And they read that book and got born again. And gave it to my other brother that was not a Christian. And he and his wife read it and they got born again. My daddy came to a meeting where I was preaching and he got saved. June and I were doing a meeting in outside of Philadelphia. Uh, I didn't know we were in, the, what's the name of that? I don't remember, New Jersey. I didn't know it was close to Philadelphia. I knew I had a sister in Philadelphia, but I didn't know it was close to New Jersey. So we were having a meeting there, and they had a flyer with with my mine and June's picture on it. And somewhere where my sister worked, they saw that flyer and recognized the name Evans, and they said, "Is he related to you?" She said, "He's my brother." And she came to the meeting. <laughs> well, she got saved. Another brother, I was doing a meeting in Alabama, and he was a coach at a high school, and it was, I didn't know it was close by, but he saw something where I was speaking. He came to the meeting. Well, he got saved. My other sister moved back to Alabama and started fellowshipping with my other saved sister, and she got saved. Well, today I'm glad to report in heaven my mother and daddy and all of us kids are going to have a reunion Amen. in heaven. I'm also glad to report both of our boys are saved. Both of their wives are saved. All of our grandchildren are saved. And we've got three greats that's going to be saved. They're on their way. They, always, they already look saved and feel saved anyway. But you can't take it for granted. I said I will not let one of my family members go to, heaven, go to hell. We got them all, praise God. But then I had my influence in the CPA world. And I said, I'm going to do everything I can to get my clients saved. And I'm telling you, when you're a CPA and got clients, you got more heathen than you got Christian people. <laughs> but I would make an effort. When I was have a meeting with one, I'd just pray for them before they got there. 
when they would come in, I've, I've shared this testimony a number of times, but the first thing I would do is lay hands on them. Now, I wouldn't lay hands on them like a, you know, like a tongue-talking, spirit-filled person. You know, shake them a little bit. But I'd just touch them on the shoulder. But I said to God, now, God, when I touch people, because you're in me, so when I touch them, you touch them. And without a doubt, every time I'd touch them, they'd start talking about they were having trouble with their kids. They would open a door. I didn't have to open one door. They'd gotta just work in supernatural ways. But it was intentional. It was intentional. I wasn't just hoping it would happen. I was believing it would happen. I was believing God would do something. And then I would wait for God to show me things about people because I do believe God shows out with lost people. I think I've shared this testimony, but we had a, a painter that came to our house and he, he was named, he was named uh, Lucky. He didn't look lucky. He, looked, he had, to, you know, paint all over his clothes, old hat with paint all over it, about four days of beard, cigar in his mouth. He rang the doorbell and I went and talked and showed, I showed him what I wanted painting and as he turned to walk away, I heard the Lord say, pray for Lucky. I said, Lucky, wait a minute. I said, God wants me to pray for you. He backed up a little bit and took his cap off. He said, God wants you to pray for me? I said, yeah. He spit his cigar out and I prayed for him. I have no earthly idea what I prayed. 20 years later, I was back in our church in Gadsden, Alabama. This beautiful young lady walked up to me. And she said, Brother Evans, you don't know me, but my daddy was lucky. She said, thank you for praying for my daddy. She said, he came home that day you prayed for him. And he said to us kids, we, there were six of us kids. He said, we're going to start going to church. And said, we started going to church and my mother and daddy got saved and all of us kids got saved. She said, my daddy's dead now in heaven. But thank you for praying for my daddy. I didn't know a little old prayer would save a multitude of people because you don't know when you touch one person how many more persons are touched by that one person. God is a supernatural God. And I'm telling you, I want to let people know God's alive, God's real, God's powerful. I was a at a client's, this was back in the early 80s, and some of you have been alive long enough to remember the 80s, early 80s. Interest rates on homes was 22%. 22% interest. If you want to buy a house, 22%. Well, this guy had a mobile home lot, and he was having to play four plan, and it was more than 22%. And I was out there with him and I was talking to him and he was grumbling. He said, we're going to go broke. We're going to have to just bankrupt. We can't stay in business. We're just not, to, we're just not selling enough mobile homes. And uh, I heard the Lord say, now, I don't say that lightly. I don't believe you can just go out there and, and do what you want to do. I don't care how spiritual you think it is. You need to hear from God. You need to know what God's saying. And I heard the Lord say, 
read him Mark eleven twenty three. And I said, uh, I said to him, I said, let's go in your office. I want to talk to you a minute. We went in his office and I said to him, now I knew he was not a Christian. And he knew I was a Christian. But when he was sitting behind his desk, had a, a cigar in his mouth, and he was letting out a few curse words now and then, I said, uh, I said, you believe the Bible, don't you? He said, sure, I believe the Bible. A few curse words in between. I said, I want to read you something from the Bible. And I read Mark 11, 23. 23 says, For whosoever say that mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, and doubt not his heart, but shall believe that those things that he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. I said, uh, that scripture says you can have what you say. He said, did I say that? He said, I read it to him again. I said, now I've been listening to you saying you're going broke, you're not going to make it. I said, how many mobile homes do you need to sell to break even? He said, I need to sell 21 to break even. I said, well, you need to start saying next month I'm going to sell in excess of 21 mobile homes. And I said, you ought to get all your salesmen to start saying that. And you ought to get the office personnel saying that. He said, uh, read that again. And I read it to him again. And he called, a, he called a, a, a meeting of all of his staff, salesmen, office staff, got him in a room. I was in there with him. He said, now, we're going to start saying, next month we're going to sell in excess of 21 mobile homes. And he said, now, if, he, if I hear anybody say anything contrary to that, you're fired. Well, that puts some incentive in it. So I go back the next month, and I said, how many mobile homes did you sell? And he said, sold 23. I said, well, praise God. Went back the next month, he's up to 25. I think it was 27. Third month, he's over 30. At the end of six months, he got saved. God shows out for lost people. Now, I'm not making that up that I just did that. I'm saying God told me to do it. So if you'll listen to the Holy Spirit, he may tell you to do something or to say something that would cause somebody to get a confirmation God's alive. See, that was a revelation. I knew, I knew there was a God, but to find out God's alive working in my life today is a revelation. Most people don't believe that. Most people, most people even that believe there's a God don't believe that. But we have the opportunity to show people, praise God, that we can bring God down here to earth and God can move in life's people. And so what we have to do is every opportunity. I know in my CPA days, I had... One partnership, we had two Jews and one lost person by his own testimony. Well, he thought he had got saved when he was a kid, but he didn't, didn't live for God. And uh, I'm, they bring me in as a partner. And one day the managing partner, he called me in. He said, did we ever tell you we ran a check on you before we brought you in as a partner? 
I said, no, you didn't. I said, well, how did it come out? He said, well, everything was good about, you know, your professional work and everything. One thing bothered us. It said uh, you're a little fanatical in your religion. I said, I am a little fanatical. <laughs> but he said, once we got to know you, you know, they wouldn't let me pray in over food or anything. You know, when I, when I first got there, the, the Jews would pray or, you know, something, but they wouldn't let me. But then they got to where when we had to go out to eat or as a, as a staff, they'd ask me to pray. And then the, the lost partner, he came into my office one day and said, we're having trouble collecting, collecting receivables. And he said this, can you do anything? <laughs> I said, yeah, I can get those things collected. Yeah. See, I say it like I believe it. I said, give me a list of them. We'll have them collected before you know what to do. And sure enough, God shows up and God shows out. Don't leave God in church. Take God to the marketplace. Take God to that lost warehouse where everybody curses and smokes and drinks and kicks cats. Because God will show up and God will show out and you'll see God do some wonderful things. Praise God. So that's what I wanted to share with you is how important it is, that how to do it, how to do it. But the thing that God said to me is he wanted me to ordain you if you wanted to be ordained as a missionary to lost people. That's my responsibility today, to ordain you as a missionary to lost people. Now, you don't want to do it lightly. You don't want to do it because everybody else does it. That means you're saying, I want to carry the gospel to lost people. I want to be out there where lost people are. I want to be a testimony to lost people. And then you have to open up and say to God, okay, I'm willing to go. Now show me what to do. Show me how to talk to lost people. You don't get lost people saved by preaching to them. They've heard preaching. But they don't know God's real. They don't know God's alive today. They don't know that God's healing people today. They don't have any clue about how powerful and wonderful and great God is. So that's going to be your assignment. It's not your job. Now, you'll have a job making money, but it's your assignment, your calling is to be a missionary to lost people. And God's going to anoint you when I'm, I'm going to lay hands on you. Now, I wrote out a little thing that I'm going to let you have that I, that I believe will remind you if you'll put it in your wallet. It says, I accept my ordination to be a missionary to lost humanity on this date, March 11th, 1922 and got a place for you to initial it where you're telling God, 
I just didn't hear a message, but I'm signing up. I'm signing up. I'm going to be one of those missionaries. And I'm going to put this in my purse or my billfold. Every once in a while, I'm going to look at it. And I'm going to say, I'm called. I'm called to be a missionary. God's got a call on my life. I can't live like everybody else. I can't talk like everybody else. I'm called of God. I'm a missionary to lost people. I'm going to lay, I'm going to lay it on the piano over here. And this is my plan that I believe God's given me. After we take communion, if you want to be a missionary to lost people, you come up these steps, get one of those little sheets, pass by me, I lay my hands. I'm not going to jerk you or you know, shake you. I'm just going to lay hands on you because God's anointing me. Doesn't take me long. I can tap you. <laughs> and you're anointed. God will anoint you to be a missionary to lost people. 